We're over in Acts chapter 12 tonight. We're looking at some uh, some deaths, some supposed planned deaths, and then a surprise one. So it's a bloody chapter. In verse 1, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So remember who James is. James and John, the sons of... Sons of Zebedee and the Sons of Thunder. Yeah, he got, they got that nickname. And so they came up to, to James and he killed him. Killed him with the sword. He's one of the 12 disciples. This is one of the special people. He's supposed to be going around being a testimony for Jesus. This is not just one of the 12. This is one of the close ones with Jesus. And he dies. Now, pretty unceremoniously, he gets uh, captured. Bring out the sword, and they killed him. Now, being killed by the sword was considered to be a most disgraceful way to be killed, so the Jews were happy. And so was uh, when this Herod saw that he was making them happy, he was glad about that. Verse 3, And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. That was during the days of unleavened bread. So the reason he seizes Peter is because Peter is doing something wrong. That's not it, is it? The reason he's doing Peter is because he's stirring up too much strife with the name of Jesus. No, that's not it either. What's the reason that he, that he arrests Peter? There's absolutely nothing that Peter did, apparently, at least we're not told of anything that Peter did to make this happen. He just did it because it was pleasing people. How many of y'all have seen political people who like to do things because it pleases certain people? <laughs> That's been going on for a long time, hasn't it? Way back here in the days of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, they were still doing it. I'm sure they were doing it before then. But he does this. He seizes Peter. He would have killed him too right away, except it was during the days of unleavened bread. So we don't have any reason to kill Peter. We didn't have any reason to kill James. But we can't do that during the feast. I don't. You just got to wonder about these think. <laughs> I don't understand their, their mentality. I mean, with Jesus, they, they were mad that he healed on the Sabbath, so they went out and plotted how to kill him on the Sabbath. That makes a whole lot of sense. People sometimes, just their, their train of thought is just gone. That's what happens when unsaved people are given over to unsaved minds. Well, what kind of impact do you think this would have on the church? Now, you've got the 12 leaders here. Of course, Judas is gone. They put a replacement in there, so we still have 12. But here's James, one of the three. Peter, James, and John. Of course, John's the one that Jesus loved. Peter's the one with his mouth open. And James is just the third guy. He's just the third one. Really nothing distinctive about James. He's not necessarily the one that Jesus loved. He's not the one with his mouth open all the time. But Jesus saw something in him, and he had him in with that three. Peter, James, and John. And so he's, uh, he's gone. He's been killed. If you're, if you're a part of the church, how many of you think this shouldn't have happened? How many of you thinking that, why didn't, why didn't God let this happen? Why did God let James, who's supposed to be going around being a testimony about Jesus, why did he let this happen? And we get kind of upset about a lot of things that go on, thinking, why did God let it happen? Did God let it happen? Well, it did happen, didn't it? Is God able to stop it? Of course, they the traditional answer on that is, yes, God can stop it because God can stop all things. But God cannot stop what he said he would not. 
Can he? If he said he wouldn't do a thing, can he then for go and do it? That would make him a liar and not a person who is true to his word. And the power of the word of God is the fact that when he says it, it's true. That's why many Christians' words are not powerful. Because they don't hold them. If you do not hold your words in such a manner as to understand that they are truth, then you'll speak things that you don't mean. You devalue your words. God is not going to step in on this, these kind of things. People are going to, to be killed. Jesus gave the parable of the vineyard. And what happened to the prophets that were sent? They were killed. Did the owner of the vineyard want them? Here, you know what? I don't like you. I'm going to send you over to the vineyard. I hope they kill you. He did. It's not what he's doing. This is, it's the will of the people. It's the will of the people who took over the vineyard. They're doing something in parable. They're doing something against the will of the vineyard owner. And same thing is here. This is something against the will of the vineyard owner. Again, uh, going back to the prayer that Jesus gave in the New Testament. Thy will be done on earth as what? As it is in heaven. How many disciples are being killed in heaven? None. How many hurricanes are there in heaven? How many twisters? How many tidal waves? How many famines? How many poor people? The will of God is done in heaven. The will of God is not done on the earth. That's why these things are going on. Just because it happens on the earth does not mean it's the will of God. If you want to find out it's the will of God, is it going on in heaven? Because that's where the will of God is done. So we've got to understand, we've got to get our head around this, that things happen on the earth that God does not desire to happen. God does not want to happen. Jesus came into this earth to undo the works that were going on in this earth because God didn't want them to go on. What was He here to do? Heal the sick? Set the captives free? He, he read off the list. There's quite a few things He was here to do. Preach the gospel? So, James dies, and this will have an impact on the church. I'm sure the church is thinking, well, you know, just a regular old disciple died. That's one thing. But this is James. This is one of the twelve. You might think, you know, there's a special force field around them. That God would set up a special force field to keep them from being hurt. But he died. And didn't seem to be a whole lot about it. Now they got Peter. So this probably woke them up. You know what? We need to be doing something. Because God, that's not God's will. And it was done. So therefore, we need to pray that God's will gets done. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, there's your reason, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So we can't kill him then, but we can imprison him. Verse 4, So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, if you want to know what this is, there, uh, there's a squad, a small, a very small number of Roman uh, soldiers that were there. Uh, I've, I've seen conflicting things. It's either four or six uh, soldiers that are in that group. And what happens when you were under one of these squads is that you have two of them that are chained to you, two of them that stand outside the, the uh, first door, and I believe two others that are outside uh, another door as well. Should be six, could be as little as four, but anyway, that's what you have to get through. And you have a six-hour shift. During those six hours, you were not expected to sleep. You were expected to sleep on the time that you were off. But during those six hours when you were in one of these squads, you were to be chained to the prisoner and awake. You were to be sitting outside the door and awake. That is what you are to do. If you do not, what happens to a Roman citizen or a Roman soldier? 
you could probably be killed. So that would be good inspiration for staying awake. So they had uh, four groups, each one taking a six-hour shift, and they would just rotate that off. You would have six hours on in the 24-hour period in which you were doing this. How long he was under this guard, we don't know. But from the time he was taken during this feast until right before the feast was over, when they were getting ready to release him, and he was getting ready to call him back in. And, of course, he was going to kill him then. So this is what they, they have going on. So when he was arrested, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him. Again, four squads. There's uh, one for every six hours, 24 hours of total, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So as soon as the Passover is over, we're going to bring out another Christian, another prominent Christian, and Peter is probably the most prominent one at this point. So if James brought applause, what do you think Peter's going to do? This is the guy they've already brought in before him and told him, you know, you will not preach in his name. Him and John. James wasn't with him that day. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, the word there, constant, can mean constant or earnest prayer, uh, either one. And earnest prayer is really what you, you want to do. Too often, Christians are distracted by, the, uh, by numbers in prayer. If we get more people to pray, then we'll have more success. And really, numbers has nothing to do with it. All you need is one or two that are earnestly praying. The Word of God tells us that the... the uh, uh, I can't even say it now. <laughs> the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Singular. One person can do it. And then gave us some examples of, of that. Elijah, one person, prayed and it did not rain. You go back to the story of Elijah, you don't get the idea that he prayed and it did not rain. You get the idea that God said and it did not rain. But apparently, he prayed. He got the word from God. He prayed and it did not rain. God said, this is my will. He prayed that his will would be done on the earth and it was. And it did not pray. And he came out and he said, it will not rain except at my word. He meant himself, not God. He's the guy praying. And that was okay. I hear Christians a lot of times, you know, they're talking about, well, I just need to get the already praying for me on this. But you don't always need to do that because sometimes you get more people in your unbelief. It seems apparently, it's apparent to me that more people who are in unbelief try to get a lot of people in prayer with them. The people that are in faith and belief will get some but are not as moved to get more. We've got to make sure that when we're praying, we know what the will of God is, we pray the will of God, and we believe that the will of God will happen. You do, not, you do not need a whole lot of people to accomplish that. One man, Abraham, nearly spared a sinful city. His prayer. One man, Moses, his prayer, saved a nation of two to four million people. One person. Don't get caught up on the numbers. There are times you need numbers, especially when you're in a a marriage relationship, and you're doing something that affects the family, you need at least two. <laughs> you need at least two. Now, you get the, you get your, uh, the kids grown up in the Word of God, you get them in there, and you, you get them in that prayer, that's in, that certainly is, is good as well. But um, there are sometimes you do need agreement, things like that going on. But don't get too caught up in the numbers. It's not a matter of how many are praying. It's a matter of what you are praying, what you're praying with. Pray with faith. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to him 
for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, he was in here, I don't know how long, it's at least a day, I would say maybe two, three days. Somewhere during the feast is when he was taken. The feast is a seven-day feast. Um, I don't know, it doesn't tell us, but apparently it doesn't make too much difference. But he was in there for at least a day, we'll say maybe even a couple of days, and he's sleeping. Does he know what's going on, what's going to happen? He knows what's going to happen. When this feast is over, they're going to take me outside, they're going to kill me. They're going to take that sword that he used on James, and they're going to cut me up. And he's sleeping. How many of us would be uh, doing something different? No, no, I don't, the, the more you get turned on into what, what heaven is, the more you probably, uh, you can get like Peter. And glory to God, and just in another day or two, it's all going to be over. <laughs> Got to go on home, be with Jesus, be in heaven. I mean, how bad can that be? He's sleeping. He's, he's fine. Apparently, there's, uh, it was nighttime. What do people do at nighttime? They sleep. Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. That didn't apparently stop him from sleeping. No. <laughs> he just uh, he just slept away. I'm sure the guards, this has got to be something to them because it's the same four groups. They're rotating in and out. And, you know, Peter, he has a problem with his mouth to begin with. He's always got it open. So he's got these guys chained to him for six hours. What do you think he's saying? Oh, woe is me. You know, I was out here just healing people, getting people set free, and now they want to kill me. You think he's doing that? No. <laughs> he's probably preaching the gospel to them. He's probably letting God speak to them, speak to these guys. Out of the uh, groups of the four squads that are here, I wonder how many of them got born again. I mean, you're chained to Peter for six hours. You are not allowed to go to sleep. Peter is sleeping now, but he's not sleeping all the time. He must have, I bet he was saying some stuff to them to, uh, to work them over. Let them know what the Word of God was saying. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So you got doors, doors shut, doors locked. If Peter's going to get out of this, he's got to overpower the guards that he's chained to. They have weapons. He does not. He then has to get through the door which is locked. Once he gets through the locked door, he has to overpower the other two guards who also have weapons. Once he get out of that one, you got another door. you got to get through that door. you got to overpower the guards that are at that door. Of course, you got to get through that door that is locked. And so this is the... They had him secure. They had him in a place where he's not going to get out. Now, Herod, we hear Herod a lot, but there's actually quite a few Herods that we've uh, already gone through in the Word of God. First off was Herod the Great. This is the Herod that uh, uh, was around when Jesus was there. He was Herod the Great. I pulled out some information for you. I just wanted to give you an update on you know who, who this guy is. Herod has been described as a madman who murdered his own family and a great many rabbis. The evil genius of the Judean nation. Prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbound ambition. And the greatest builder in Jewish history. He was a great builder. He did a number of things in the building aspect of, of uh, uh, Judah. He is known for his colossal building projects throughout Judah, including his expansion of the second temple in Jerusalem. It's called Herod's Temple. The construction of the port at Caesarea Maritima and the fortress of Masada. How many know about Masada? If you you don't know Masada, it's a great movie. Go out there and rent the movie. It's a fantastic movie to watch to see some of the things that have gone on during the uh, period of Israel's revolt against Rome. And they use this fortress 
the Masada fortress was quite a fortress. They, this uh, group, and no one ever saw Masada? Oh, man, you got to go out there and see that. This small force of uh, soldiers led by um, the Hammer. I can't think of what his, na- actually, his name is. Uh, do you remember his name? Uh, his nickname was the Hammer. Um, tough guy. And they held off an entire Roman uh, army by themselves. There were only like, there's less than 100 that were in the tower, and they held off the Roman army. Um, it's, it's unbelievable what they did. And they, uh, the Romans finally were able to figure out a way to crack this thing. And um, anyway, I don't want to ruin the story for you. If you it is, there is a movie out about it. You can go out there and rent the movie and check it out. I saw the movie. It was years ago. But um, it, was, it was interesting. So he did uh, the Fortress of Masada and Herodium. Uh, you'll see a number of things. He did some great things. He did some really lousy things. Of course, he was uh, responsible for the massacre of the babies. When Jesus was born, all those that were two years and under. Um, this is Herod the Great. Uh, there's Herod Antipas. He is best known today for accounts in the New Testament for his role, the events that led to the executions of John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, he's the Herod who wanted his, his uh, brother Philip's wife. That's, the, that's this Herod. The third Herod is the one we're in the book of Acts. This is Herod Agrippa. It's the, Acts, uh, the Herod of Acts. He was opposed by Christians and favored by the Jews. I'll tell you a little bit about him. The Jews loved him. Anything that the Jewish people wrote about him was good. Anything that the Christians wrote about him was bad. Same guy. <laughs> well, he was against the church. He was for the Jews. And so he did things against the church. So one of the things that he did was he killed James. Then he arrested Peter for the purpose of killing him because it pleased the Jews. So he's about to bring Peter out. Peter's sleeping. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. This is neat. He's sleeping and the angel of the Lord gets all the way inside standing next to him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. He said to him, put on, on your garment and follow me. Apparently, he's got to tell him everything to do. He's, uh, he, I mean, he was sound asleep. You ever been sound asleep and then woken up? You're a little dazed? I think that's where Peter is at. Plus, Peter isn't quite sure that this is real. It isn't every day that you get in prison and an angel shows up to, uh, <laughs> to pull you out. And now remember, it wasn't too long ago that he was up on the rooftop and a trance happened. And he saw a vision. And he may be thinking the same thing is going on here right now. And therefore, it's not really real. Therefore, if you want to go outside not fully dressed, well, I guess you can. It's not really real. <laughs> but anyway, the angel said, come on, put your clothes on and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Just like before. When they were past the first and the second guard post, these are locked doors, guards on the outside, making sure that whatever inside stays inside. They were past the first and second guard post. They came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Now, we're not told how the first two gate uh, doors opened up, but this one, they're just looking at it, and it just opens. This is a locked door, and it just opens. And that led to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. 
And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So he wasn't really, it wasn't doubting that, that uh, God could deliver him or anything. It's just that, you know, this, you're just saying, you're kind of seeing this thing happen. This isn't real. This, this is, God showed me something that maybe is going to happen down the road. Uh, he didn't know. But anyway, it happened in such a way that he was really thinking he was having a transfer of vision. Mm-hmm. Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Anybody remember John Mark? Yep. Um, this is the same guy, John Mark. This is his mom's house, Mary. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. Of course, we all know what happened with John Mark. He went on the missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he left them. You know where he went? He went home to Mama. Now, if you're Paul, (laughs) and not only did this guy leave you, he went home to Mama. (laughs) Can you understand why Paul didn't want to bring him back? He's a Mama's boy. (laughs) As far as Paul's concerned, this boy's a Mama's boy. He needs to stay home with his mom. (laughs) So anyway, he's... um, this is uh, John Mark's home uh, when he was growing up in the house of Mary, the mom. And as Peter knocked at the door of the, of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. I don't know. Is that a good Jewish name, Rhoda? Yeah. It is? Okay. Yes, it is. Yep. Uh, there are, I don't think we have too many other Rhodas in the Bible. Yeah, but there's, but there's, that is a Jewish name. All right, there we go. A girl named Rhoda came to answer, and she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now, it was not uncommon when you came to the door and someone was knocking on the door to say, who is it? And to have them identify who they were, because I don't know if they had the peepholes that, you know, we got the little holes there. Look out there, and you can see everything. I don't know that they had those, so they would call to identify who that they, they were. And it was Peter's voice that came through. She recognized it as Peter's voice. And she got so excited, she um, forgot to open the door. She went back on inside. She's just, uh, she's surprised. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. But she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now, we've been talking about wisdom on Sunday mornings. And sometimes Christians can say the stupidest things. If it is really an angel or the angel of Peter, why is he knocking? The other angels just showed up in the prison. Other angels in the past, they've just shown up in the house. They don't knock. Doors don't keep them out. They go through walls. They go through doors. They just show up. So here's the great wisdom of these people. It is his angel. Now, these are the people that are gathered to pray because apparently they didn't gather to pray for James. At least we're assuming they didn't gather to pray for James. We didn't hear of any prayer meeting. But when they got Peter in there, they immediately gathered to pray. Hey, we lost James. We don't want to lose Peter. That's all pray. And so they had constant or earnest prayer made for, for Peter. So they're all gathered praying. Now, we cannot say that these people are not in faith because they didn't believe that Peter was at the door. Because if they are praying and God didn't move, then there had to be faith there. Right? <laughs> it makes sense. If, uh, if, if this end result happened... God had to have something to work with, so there was some faith present. It's just, uh, we don't know what their faith was for. Sometimes, you know, you're believing God for a thing, but not necessarily this. 
You're believing God for, for him to be spared. Maybe, you know, they'll just let him go. Maybe uh, the, when they bring him out and the people, the, the trial won't go well. They won't feel good about executing him. And they'll just uh, not, not do that. Whatever. Maybe thinking about something along those lines. They're not thinking that he's going to get out because they know where he is. He's changed up to two guys. And there's two guys outside the door. Probably another two guys outside of another door after that. Whatever it is, they, he's not getting out easily. That can't be Peter. It is Peter. I heard him. It must be his angel. Why would an angel show up? And does, does your angel sound like you? Is there anything in the Bible that says that our angels sound like us? It is amazing the things that Christians come up with and begin to spout out. It's not just something that goes on today. This is people dedicated enough to be here at an all-night prayer meeting. This is nighttime. Peter is sleeping. That's what kind of nighttime it is. These people are awake. And they're praying. So, you know, we don't want to jump on them too much because they had faith. God worked with something. They're in there in the, in the wee hours of the morning, midnight hours, whatever time it is, when most people are sleeping. And they're praying. I put in your outline this, wisdoms from Christians. Is it his angel? I mean, come on. Think about some of the things you're going to say before you say them. Now, Peter continued knocking. What else are you going to do? I guess, you know, the door's locked. And probably because, you know, they're, they're going around arresting Christians, putting them to death. So um, knocking the door might be a good idea. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. It is Peter. But motion, motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Well, apparently he had to get them quiet so that they could hear what's going on. You ever been in a place like that where you got to get people quiet to hear what's going on? I was... Um, when I was looking for those YouTube things, uh, when we found that one for, for Sunday that we'll have to show this next Sunday coming up. Um, I found this one. Uh, you know Josh Groban? I like his voice. He's got a good singing voice. Well, I had this little thing in there that he, he found somebody in the stands, and apparently he does this fairly often. He got somebody in the stands who could sing, and they sang a little duet. And the, the, the little caption of the thing said that the, the girl nailed it. And so I was, oh, listen to this thing and see what's going on. And I'll tell you what, she had a good voice. Really, really good voice. But as soon as she opened her mouth and you could tell that she could hit a note, everybody in the whole place made noise, cheering and hollering. And it's like, you can't hear what she's saying. And so they quiet down and she starts singing again. And they, again, they'd rise up in noise. And you can't, you, you can't, she had a beautiful voice. I wanted to hear her sing with Josh. You couldn't do it at the end of it. You know, the whole thing was a, two minutes long. I think about 10 seconds you could hear them singing together because they just kept making noise. Why do people make noise when you're trying to hear? I never understood that. I mean, if someone's singing and someone's playing, that's why I like classical music. If you go to an orchestra and you listen to the orchestra, you don't clap when they're playing. If they're playing music, you do not clap. You, you hush your mouth. You don't even cough. If you want to cough, you get out of the room. <laughs> if, I mean, there are some conductors that if you cough or you sneeze in the room when they're playing, he will turn around and look at you, motion to a usher, they'll escort you out. You don't make noise. In a, that's good. I like that. That's why I like one reason I like classical music. You know, you go in there, you listen to the music. You pay to listen to the music, not to the people clapping and hooting and hollering and stuff like that. But anyway, they wanted, Peter said, you, you need to hear what I had to say, so shut up. He's just saying it nicer. He's motioning with his hand. You know, whatever he's saying to quiet him down. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James. 
Not the James course that was just killed. <laughs> we, we can't really go tell him anything right now. And besides that, he probably already knows. <laughs> go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become Peter. Yeah, that's kind of putting it mildly. This guy was chained to two people, two people outside the, the, the gate. As far as we know, those doors were not opened. The only one we know that was open was the iron gate. It never mentions anything about the other doors being open. So they could have come to the place and the doors still be closed. Maybe they're open. Whatever. But then you, you the soldiers are there. How, how did he get away? We don't know. We, did you fall asleep? No. How did you not fall asleep? But he's not here. But what happened? We don't know. <laughs> it's going to be, a, you know, like um, uh, Ricky says, you got a lot of explaining to do. And as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards. That's uh, probably a wrong word there. Interrogated is a better one. He interrogated the guards. It's kind of like, ever watch 24? You know when Jack wants to get information out of somebody? It's one of those kind of things. He interrogated the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. So the guards that were watching over them, they died. I don't know about the other three groups, but the, the one group that was there when he was taken out, they're gone. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So he left. Would you have left? <laughs> well, Jesus said to him, said, if they don't accept your testimony, shake off the dust and go on to the next town. Now, he, now before, when they did arrest him, they went back out and preached the next day and then they came out a whole lot nicer, you know. Will you guys come along with us? Yeah, yeah, sure, we'll come along with you. But he uh, apparently didn't stay on this one. Sometimes it just makes sense that people are trying to kill you and God delivers you, get away. And that's what he did this one. He went down from Judea to Caesarea and he stayed there. So he, leave, he left town. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Well, the word there for angry means fighting mad. He was really angry. He was hot. He was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So Blastus, he's the king's personal aide, and they made a friend to him. What does that mean? <laughs> How do you make a friend of a person who's close to those that are higher up? Quickly. <laughs> uh huh. They made a friend. How much will it cost for you to like us? They bribed him of some sort. They gave him something that he wanted. And so he in turn spoke kindly of them to Herod so that Herod was not fighting mad at them anymore. They were a little more uh, at ease with all that. And the reason they did it was because they supplied him with food. Now, I pulled this, uh, this out to read to you so you understand this, what's going on here. Tyre and Sidon were equal subjects of the Romans with the inhabitants of Galilee. So Herod could not go to war with them because they're all under Rome. You can't just have one group under Rome go in war with another group under Rome. Rome doesn't allow that. He could, however, cut off supplies from Galilee and other countries that were under him or under Herod. Tyre and Sidon were trading centers and could not exist without the provisions from surrounding countries. So they made peace with Herod. So Herod says, I can't go to war with you, but I'm not going to give you any of the stuff that comes from our countries. 
We are barricading you. We are blocking you off. You're not going to get any. And that affected them. And so they said, we need to make nice with Herod. Uh, we need this, these things to go on. And so they bribed his uh, aide. They got things going on. So they made things nice. And so they were going to have Herod come on out and speak to them. <coughs> so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Again, they're not listening to what he's saying. They just keep saying this thing, the voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Yeah. Now, these people do not believe that this, he was the voice of a god. They are flattering him because he was mad with them. They want the stuff that he's got. So they're trying to build him up. And so they say this. While he is speaking, the voice of a God and not of a man. And he doesn't deflect it. He doesn't stop it. And that's what God held him responsible for. Again, they don't necessarily mean it. But this is the thing that they're trying to do. We've had that with political leaders in the, that are going on even now. You know, Nelson Mandela just died recently. I don't know if, how much you know about his history or some of the things that are going on. He, if you listen to some of the eulogies and stuff, you think the guy's a saint. And an angel. He is not. Does anyone know why he was in prison for 27 years? He was given an opportunity every year to be released if he would do one thing. Renounce terrorism. That's all he had to do. Renounce terrorism and you can be free. He wouldn't do it. He was in jail because of terrorism. He didn't do any terrorism that killed anybody. But he still committed terrorism. I think the world of some of the things that he said, some of the way that he treated those who jailed him, I think is remarkable. Some of the things that he said, some of the things that he had done were great. But as a leader, the man's a communist. I don't agree with the way he led his, his country. I don't agree with what he did to his people. He did not help that country as far as the difference between the poor and the rich. From what I've been told of the country, the difference between the poor and the rich grew under him. He did not help that out. He was a remarkable man in his ability to forgive. Remarkable man in some of the things that he said. He said some wonderful things. I did see some of his quotes and I liked some of those things. But understand, the man was a terrorist. He's in jail for 27 years because he would not renounce it. And every year they would come in and say, will you renounce terrorism? He said, no. So sometimes we can take people and we can, we can forget what they did. Happens a lot of times with people when they die. We forget all the things that they had done that were uh, not so good and just remember the ones that were good. And um, uh, there was that guy from uh, West Virginia, Virginia, the senator. When he died the uh, last couple of years, he died. Bird. He was a KKK member. And you, you hear him at the uh, eulogy. I mean, Clinton got up there and talked about, well, he had to. Had to be a KKK. No, he don't. Man was a he. He wasn't just a member. He started a group, funded it, and we're gonna we're gonna forget that. That no, we don't. I, I don't understand it sometimes, but um, you know there are some good things. Nelson Mandela sits. I, I saw some of his quotes. I would like to put some of his quotes even in the bulletin. Some of them are that good, on forgiveness and, and things like that. But um, you know, it's I guess you got a little caution on on that. But here's the thing: you got to watch. Sometimes we put things on leaders that we should not. And that leader is responsible to deflect it. 
put this, uh, I think I've heard this in your, your outline this way. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute here. We'll, we'll get that. So anyway, he died of worms. Simply, it's not because people said this of him. Understand, that's not why he died. I think it's kind of odd. He kills James. What happens to him? Nothing. He imprisons Peter with the purpose of killing him. What happens to him? Nothing. People ascribe him as deity. And it's all over. It's all over. It's done. Josephus writes this about the, about him. It's a little, little wordy, but I just, it's, this is history. This is the guy who was there. Now, when Agrippa had reigned three years over Judea, he came to the city of Caesarea, which was formerly called Strato's Tower, and there he exhibited spectacles in honor of Caesar, for whose well-being he'd been informed that a certain festival had, was being celebrated. At this festival, a great number were gathered together on the principal persons of dignity of his province. On the second day of the spectacles, he put on a garment made wholly of silver. Imagine having a garment just of silver. Of a truly wonderful texture. And came into the theater early in the morning. There the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays. The sun's coming up. It has a direct shot. The silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays shone out in a wonderful manner. And were so pleasant as to spread all over those that looked intently upon him. Presently, his flatterers cried out, one from one place and another from another, though not for his good that he was a god. And they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature." That's a long thing to be saying, but this is a guy who was a historian writing it down. Upon this, the king neither rebuked them nor rejected their impious flattery. But he shortly afterward looked up and saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings, just as it had once been the messenger of good tidings to him and fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain arose in his belly, striking with the most violent intensity. He therefore looked upon his friends and said, I, whom you call a God, and commanded presently to depart this life. While providence thus reproves the lying words you just now said to me, and I, who was by you called immortal, am immediately to be hurried away by death. But I am bound to accept what providence allots, as it pleases God, for we have no means lived ill, but in a splendid and happy manner. When he said this, his pain became violent. Accordingly, he was carried into the palace and the rumor went abroad everywhere that he would certainly die soon. The multitude sat in sackcloth, men, women, and children, asked the law of their country, and besought God for the king's recovery. They besought God for the king's recovery. They just called him a god. All places were also full of mourning and lamentation. Now the king rested in a high chamber, and as he saw them below lying prostrate on the ground, he could not keep himself from weeping. And when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life being in the 54th year of his age and in the seventh year of his reign. He ruled four years under Caius Caesar. Three of them were over Philip's tetrarchy only. And on the fourth, that of Herod was added to it. And he reigned beside those three years under Claudius Caesar, during which time he had Judea added to his lands, as well as Samaria and Caesarea. 
The revenues that he received out of them were very great, no less than 12 millions of drachmae. But he borrowed great sums from others, for he was so very liberal that his expenses exceeded his incomes, and his generosity was boundless. Boy, that doesn't sound like anything we never heard about before, huh? <laughs> hmm. So it's, he's done these things against the kingdom of God. But God, when he did this, certainly stood up and said, Nope, you're not. <laughs> this, this one is where we draw the line. Verse 24, But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Well, he was at the house. They took him along. Anyway, Isaiah 48, verse 11 says, For my own sake and for my own, for my own sake, I will do it. For how, shall, how should my name be profaned, and I will not give my glory to another? The glory of God is His. And we should never take it upon ourselves. There are some, sometimes that ministers have done such things. People trying to minister in the name of Jesus have taken on that glory themselves and they have died. They have uh, put themselves in a wrong position. My wife was listening to somebody. And uh, uh, some, I don't know who the minister was, but uh, she somehow came, came to this thing. And the man said that if anyone would contribute $5,000... He would heal them of whatever it is they had. You should be people like that should shake in, in their boots. And God, God lets this this Herod. He he kills a servant of his. He's about to kill another one, Peter, probably the greatest of the twelve. But when he takes on the glory of God and he shares it, that is a that is a scary thing. We have leaders and people who want to ascribe godly characteristics to them. They need to deflect it. You are, they are not responsible for what people say of them. They are responsible if they don't deflect it. Go through the Bible. How many times that, well, the one we just looked at with Peter, Peter walks into the house and they bow down to him. What's he do? No, 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 get up. He's not responsible for them bowing down. What's he responsible for? Deflect it. No, no, no. I'm a man too. I'm a man too. Paul had the same problem. People saw him and they started calling him uh, uh, at Zeus and Mercury. And, and uh, he said, no, 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 we're just men. You, you, got, you can't stop them from doing that. But you can deflect it. If they believe you, it's one thing. But you, you need to at least get in there and deflect it. And that's what he needed to have done here. And he didn't do it. He was going ahead and accept that. That's a scary thing. God does not give his glory to another. The glory of God belongs to him. And that's where it goes. Only. So this is what I put in your outline here. You cannot control what others say about you. But you're responsible for what you receive. Don't receive anything that would be the glory of God. Make sure all glory goes to God. If anybody tries to put it on you, you uh, lay hands on someone and they get healed and they try and give the glory to you. No, no, no. You, you... Deflect it back over to God. It's, it's not, not you at all. Whether they do anything from there, that's, that's, that's not on you. You can't force them to do it, but you need to deflect it. That's all that you can do. You look at the one with Paul. They were not necessarily all that great at uh, 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 curtailing their worship of them. They did everything they could, but they're still... Now, of course, the next day it was all over. They're ready to kill them. <laughs> that's, that's how fickle people can, can be with that. But now we, the third Herod is now 
gone from the Bible. We had Herod, Herod the Great, two other Herods, and now the, the Herods are gone. Uh, the third Herod is, is gone because simply he did not give the glory to God. And Peter has moved on into another, another city. He's going to move on and come into contact with Paul and Barnabas and some others. And, and uh, he'll make his way on back into Judea, into Jerusalem, and do some other things here too. But for right now, this seems to be the, the better of the things to do, is to, is to go. Sometimes it is, it is uh, godly wisdom to move on. The people around trying to kill you, instead of keep looking for, the, the, for God to spare you, that's not necessarily the thing that you need to do. Of course, most of the places that we are, people are not trying to kill us for our faith. For our faith. They, uh, it happens uh, much more in there, but around here, they're not necessarily trying to kill us for our faith. But we do need to get ourselves ready to be doing things for God. And as people would try and put glory onto us individually, always deflect it back over to God. Don't ever receive it. It's a, it's a real important message we need to learn. Father, we thank you for the things we can learn from your word. That though people in the Bible were killed, it was not your, <clears throat> not your will for that to happen. But we see here that the church got the message and began to pray and realized the things on this earth, not everything is the will of God that's going on. We need to pray that the will of God would go on. Father, we need to learn that as well. And not just look at the things that are happening. Say, well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. But to understand, we are to learn what the will of God is and to be instruments of prayer that God can work through to change what is going on in this world. We thank you for the help you give us to know your will and the faith that it grows in us to believe it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.